0: And good morning. Good morning! <laughs> uh, <clears throat> okay, so if you're new and visiting, that's intentional that way they just did that. But anyway, great to be with you again. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them, and you should. I just want to encourage that. Often do that, and I'm going to do that again this morning. We, uh, we go through books of the Bible. We, we like to teach the Bible. We like to learn about what the Bible has to say about life. Amen. So have one with you, either a, a, a Luddite version, as I like to call it, you know, the original printed version, and uh, well, it's not original, but you know what I'm saying, and, uh, or on your phone, a tablet, that's great, um, and you can come through it with me, I encourage that, we will be reading it and putting verses on screen, I think it's always good for you to have it with you. We begin chapter six today, we are in the 11th uh, session or week of this amazing letter, uh, next week will be our last week in this letter. Wow, what a journey it's been. It's been very encouraging, I think, for most of us that we've learned a number of things. We, we're beginning in chapter 6, Paul's final words to his young protege, pastor in Ephesus, Timothy, a son in the faith, a young man that he's discipled for, for over 10 years, taught him the ropes, taught him sound doctrine and the Word of God, and he's placed them there, and he's like late 20s, early 30s. And we've learned throughout this uh, this series that Really what's happening in this letter is the Apostle Paul is responding to either questions or concerns that Timothy has either written to him about or uh, others that have been in the church have gone to visit with Paul and said, hey, Timothy's struggling with this, that, whatever, the church is too. And so a lot of what Paul's writing to Timothy is uh, words of encouragement and also, of course, words of instruction. And so we've seen that throughout this this amazing thing about, and imagine trying to be, I mean, it's one thing to plant a church in Squamish, which we've done, but imagine doing that in an in urban area like Vancouver, which is what Ephesus was in that day, very multicultural, a lot of different religious backgrounds. Christianity is this new thing. Christians were actually called atheists back in that day. Why? Because they didn't believe in the multitude of gods that the Roman culture and everyone else in that culture believed in. So he's been teaching Timothy a lot about a subject that's going to come back up again today for the fifth time. Yep, this is Paul doing this, false teachers, false doctrine, but he's also laid out for Timothy, okay, here's how you uh, order things in the household of God, and so it was about appointing of elders and what that looks like, and then deacons, and then he started to get into some personal things about how we take care of one another Older men, being looked, uh, the way the younger men, pardon me, uh, behave towards older men, younger women to older. So all about relationships in the church, and we've been seeing that, and of course, that was about, of course, elders, uh, it was about widows, it was about older and younger and so on and so forth. So it's about the household of God. How do we treat one another? How do we behave in the church, not so much just the liturgy of worship and prayer and word, but amongst each other? What are our relationships like? Well, today we're going to, again, as I said, go back into it. He's going to do it again. He's going to talk about false doctrine and teachers again, a little differently this time. This time he actually gives us some hints, some clues as to how to identify them, how to identify those who are teaching falsely. And then also he's going to teach us another lesson on how we behave towards someone else, another category of individuals in the church. So let's read our text and then I'll pray one more time and we'll have a look. 10 verses today, verses 1 to 10, chapter 6, 1 Timothy. Paul writing to Timothy. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and are beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing... With these things, we will be content. Hmm. We will. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We should pray. (laughs) Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Yeah, once again, Lord, we know that you are a good God to everyone all the time. Lord, I pray that you would impress that upon our hearts today as we grieve, but also, Lord, as we look at your word again. Uh, So many things in this passage that Paul is passing on to Timothy at the end of this letter that we need to look at this morning. And so we thank you for each one of them. I just pray for clarity as we go through it, that we would learn from you, Holy Spirit, what the intention of these words were in that day and what they mean for us today. So I pray your blessings over this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. I guess I have to confess, I was just sitting here this morning uh, as Nick led out in worship, and then as I got up to pray for the Weigerborough family, it, it feels a little bit like, <laughs> is it right to continue? in our text for today. Well, it's all I've got for today, so I guess we're going to, but it is, it is. Life goes on. Teaching goes on. Our faith goes on. And I pray this morning we will learn much from these words that will encourage us in our faith and walk with Christ. So there, there, there are three distinct areas that are going on in this text of instruction that Paul provides to Timothy and the church in this text. First, there's one more relationship he's going to allude to or speak to that needs redeeming listen, in the church. It was a relationship that needed redeeming in the Ephesus church, for sure, but also, I believe, for us today. And therefore, one of the things that it's going to be doing is the benefits of our salvation in Christ is the reversing of all of the bad effects of the fall, which is broken relationships. So first, we're going to learn today how we ought to behave in the household of God related to masters and slaves. Your sermon title for today is contentment that leads to godliness. Our first point is honor your masters. Honor our masters. First one says this, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So the first two verses of chapter six could actually have been part of what we've been looking at before. Other than the reason why I didn't put it in last week was because last week would have been an hour and a half, right? It would have just gone on longer. And so it's, it, it's in chapter six. It's a little ahead. Those chapter breaks don't matter in the original manuscripts, but we're looking at it today. And and so what I'm going to say to you is this: is that we're going to be looking at the whole subject of yes, bondservants, which is another word is slaves. And some of us are going to be going, oh, really? And, and all I'm going to say about that is, is that we looked at that in de- detail in the very first message in First Timothy. Uh, and so if you're looking for a longer explanation about the difference between slavery in the days of Ephesus and most recent history, I'm going to refer you to there. So I don't have to repeat all of that. But one of the things we learned in going through that was really important. What we learned is, is that there is a vast difference. A vast difference between what was taking place in those days, bond servants and slavery, to what we have known in recent history as the African slave trade. Not remotely the same thing for one specific reason, it wasn't racial. Uh, Back in the days of of, uh, Timothy and Paul and in Rome, uh, it didn't matter what the color of your skin was, everyone was put into slavery or was a bond servant, not everyone, but a large percentage of people were. And so it was not the same thing. We also learned in the first chapter that uh, Paul listed a whole list, wonderful list of sins that if unrepented uh, would restrict with someone from eternity with God. He listed a whole bunch of them. We don't have to go through all of them, but one of them that he had there is important for us as the church today to see, and it's the word enslavers. And so Paul, the Bible teaches and has taught for 2,000 years, actually before that even, but since this letter and since the New Testament church was established, that slavery and slavement is sin. And if you don't repent from that, in other words, you become a Christian, you're in Ephesus, and you're a master who has slaves and bondservants, well, two things need to happen. Number one, if you have actually taken them captive and brought them into slavery in your home or sold them into slavery, you're in sin. And so you have to make that right. How do you make that right? Well, it was complicated back in that day. One way that you could do that was just set them free. Obviously, right? But it was complicated. The other is, is that you could keep them on as bond servants, as servants, like butlers in Victorian England, right? And uh, you could treat them better, more fairly as a Christian master. That would be what one would expect. It's actually estimated that in Ephesus in that day, 30% of all people who lived in Ephesus were bond servants, were slaves at homes a high percentage of that 30% were Christians. And so that is a fact that we know from history. And so why? Why were people in bondservant or slavery in those days? Well, the main reason was economic. The main reason is, is they were poor. The main reason was is they needed a roof over their head. The main, they needed a job that would provide a roof over their head, and they needed food and clothing and... And so they sold themselves, in many cases, into slavery as bond servants. And so, yes, in that culture in the day, we can't hide this. No one's intending to do that. But we cannot hide the fact that there were Christian and non-slave owners who treated their slaves very poorly. They did. It's sin. It needs to be repented of. And so it's... Also, as I mentioned, important for us to see that it was actually Christianity. Secular historians will tell you today it was Christianity that changed the tide related to this. But there's a lesson for us here today that Paul wants to get across to us. And the lesson is for the Christian bondservant and slave in Ephesus, in that day. And I'm gonna suggest to you in a similar relationship for us today. So what does that look like? Well, first of all, in that text, is it still on? Let's have that verse back up on screen again, Alec. Um, First verse. Hello? Yeah. Um, We see this word again. It's been repeated now three times. We're to honor widows. Remember that? Honor widows. We're to honor elders in the church who rule well and double honor elders who labor in the preaching and teaching of God's word. And now we're told here today we are Christians who are bondservants and slaves, to honor their masters. And, and what Paul's getting at here is not just your believing masters, which he will deal with, but even your unbelieving masters. There's a reason. It's important. And so again, Christians come to faith in Jesus Christ. They're Their bondservants are slaves, and they're in a home. And let's just look at it this way. Maybe their master is also a Christian. Well, how should that Relationship look. And again, whether they're a Christian or not. Well, we learned also through this teaching the last three weeks, whether it's widows or elders, it's about, first of all, respect them. Honor means respect. Give them their due. Give them that kind of honor, respect. Esteem them well. Now, I'm sure many of us are like here today going, really, really? I know what you're going to do, Glenn, pastor. I know what you're going to do. You're going to tie this to my relationship with my boss. Okay, hang on. Here's the point. Here's the point. Assume the best. Treat them, whether they're Christian or not, as a master, is what Paul's getting at here to the Christians in Ephesus, in such a way that elevates them to what a master really should look like. Treat them that way. Go figure what might happen. How might they respond to that instead of the slave, the bond servant that's whispering behind their back, taking a little extra food from the pantry, creating a mutiny <laughs> amongst the rest of the, the slaves in the households? Show your master respect. And so that's, that's one idea. That's one thing because he's going to get at it and here it is. The key reason is this, again, in the text, it says right there, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be Reviled. Your responsibility, bondservant, slave, employee, is not to make the name of Christ, the gospel, shameful. Look poorly. Right? You and I, if we're in Christ here today, we have been saved from our sins. Amen? We've been shown a lot of mercy and a lot of grace by our master, by our God, and by our king. And the idea here in this text is that we, we, we need to model that. We need to... And, and look, are we sometimes in, in the world today going to be treated poorly by our masters? By the way, if anyone's in this room as a master today, it's for you too. Yes, that, yes, it happens. Now, thankfully, today we have laws and we have people we can go to and, and we can... But, but also, yeah, we can do that. And, and also, if it's a really, really bad situation, we can leave. And go find another job. It wasn't that easy in that day. It wasn't that easy in that day. And so Paul is speaking about a relationship here. And then he goes on in verse 2 and says this. Those who have believing masters, listen, look at this, must not be disrespectful on the ground or the grounds that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service and believer, are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things, Timothy. Why? Well, because there are a lot of people in his church who are bond servants. There's a few masters, too. They're hearing this message. This is good. This is teaching. He right? gives the Holy Spirit the opportunity to cut both parties to the heart and make things right in the household of God. So so this is really, really, this part here is amazing. What what Paul's getting at here, I see, and I hope you see it as well, is that, you know, sometimes, listen, again, I'll just relate it to the world today. You go to work for, quote, a Christian boss in a company that's not a Christian company, but your boss is a Christian. Is there any chance that you or I might expect a little better treatment? Because they know we're also Christians. Is it any chance that we might get an easier job or a little better go of it, or that our review might go better? Is there any chance that that could be the case? Paul's getting at this. Don't be that way. Don't, again, it's it's what you're modeling, right? Because there are other people in the household, other slaves, bond servants in the household, other employees in the company who do not know the gospel, who do not know Jesus Christ, have not been saved and forgiven of their sins, and they're watching us. This is our testimony. I'm going to leave that now for you just to think about it. So it's number one, honor your masters, honor our masters. Number two for today is what sound doctrine looks like. Verse three tells us this, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. And so here we go again, like I've mentioned before. Um, You heard it earlier, Paul returns, this is the fifth time now in this letter, the fifth time. I'm not doing this. He's doing this. For the fifth time, he's going after false doctrine and those who teach those false doctrines in this text. But first, he looks at this. Uh, it, It seems like it might be a pet subject for him, but I don't think it is because he wants to get something else across to the church in Ephesus and the church for all time, which includes us here today. So the really good news for us here today is Paul defines well for us what sound doctrine actually looks like, and more importantly, its source. So to answer the question, what then does sound doctrine look like? It looks like Jesus. That's the first thing he says here in the text, with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Everybody good with the words of of Jesus Christ, right? Those are the sound doctrines of our faith, right? Okay, hold on. That accords, the teaching that accords with godliness, he goes on to say that as well. So first and foremost, and this is key, the teaching that accords with and leads to godliness, what might that be, do you think? What is Paul getting at when he adds that in there? I mean, first, the words of Jesus, yes, sound doctrine. The words that accord with sound doctrine, everything that's in here, everything that's in here. You know, it's a little sad in in the church today. It's been around for a while, but there's a lot of this, it's called the red letter Christians, right? The people, like as in some Bibles, the words of Jesus are in red versus black, right? And some people think, well, those are the only words that matter. Jesus didn't speak on these other subjects, so what did Jesus speak about? It? No, this, all of this is the word of God. The word, the Logos, is the one who became flesh and dwelt among us, and his name is? Somebody. Okay, thank you. thank you. There's always a Q&A at some point, okay? Just to, keep, just to keep you alert, okay? That's what it's all about. All of it is. I mean, you, 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 we know that even from the Great Commission in Matthew 28 where Jesus sends his disciples out and he goes, okay, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and name of the Holy Spirit. And then he says these words, teach them to observe. In Matthew 28, 20, all that I have commanded you. We know from John 20 that there aren't enough books in the world to record all of the things that Jesus taught his disciples in that day. We only have a part of what he actually taught them. He's telling them here, you teach them and command them all that I've given to you. And behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. So sound doctrine then looks like and sounds like the words of Jesus as the word presented to us by also his chosen apostles. It's, uh, the reason why Jesus chose 12 apostles was foundational to the church, as we're going to see in Ephesians in a second, but it was also so that they would, they would organize the planting and the development of the churches, but also the completion of the writing of the word of God in the New Testament, which we have in our Bibles today. Paul lets us know that in Ephesians two nineteen to 21, where he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens speaking to the church in Ephesus, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Again, he's repeating this household of God narrative, right? But he's also saying, listen, you're no longer, all of you, Gentiles, pagans, Jews, Christians, you're all in. And then he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure which is the church, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So finally then, it is this sound doctrine that accords with, leads to godliness in the Christian's life. That's it. It, it, It's the sound doctrine and the teachings of Jesus and the foundation of the apostles and the prophets that leads you and I to godliness. Little daily devotionals and books and all the rest of it. No, No, this... The word of God. And so it's likely we've repeated a few times in this series, let's just, as a church, every Sunday, let's just receive the teachings of Paul of the scripture in its plain language, in its plain reading, and let it instruct us on how we ought to behave with one another in the church. Let's let that have its work on us. And so I, I, I feel like, and I feel like if I was Timothy, I feel like what Paul is essentially saying to Timothy is, Timothy, this is all I got. (laughs) This is all I've got. I don't have any other, like, little secret to tell you about. A little little thing that I can give to you, a nugget, that, you know, Timothy, if you just apply this, like, Jesus didn't tell me this. It's not from Jesus, but it's, you know. He doesn't do that. He points him to the words of Jesus and the scripture itself. So that's what sound doctrine looks like. Number two or number three, actually, what false teachers look like. We saw it a little bit, and we'll come back to it, but in verses four and five, he says this. He, or she, I will add, is puffed up with conceit and actually understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now again, I'm not thinking this, but Paul knew that Timothy is going to be reading this in the hearing of masters, slaves, pagans, Christians, Jews, and some false teachers are going to hear this. So we got a glimpse of what a false teacher looks like in verse 3. They are those who teach a different doctrine. They are people who, it's different than what Jesus taught. It's different than what the apostles actually wrote and taught. It's different. They're those who come into the church, write a book, blog, or start a podcast, and basically say this, psst, hey, come here. I know, I know. I got a secret for you. I have found a way to help you and I understand a doctrine, a teaching of Jesus and the Bible that that has always been troubling to me, but I've found a way to make it work for me. I think it might work for you. That's an example. It's exactly an example. And that leads to the first hint that you've encountered of a false teacher that we've seen here and that you might encounter in a false teacher if you actually come in close proximity to one, and that is there is a distinct level of arrogance. Yes. And, and we need to be careful, okay? I learned this years ago. There's, there's a kind of arrogance that, you know, the, the chest sticks out and like, hey, <laughs> look at me. Like, I really know what I'm talking about. That kind of person, you know that person? Whether they're saying it or writing it, it just comes across that way, right? But there's also something called passive-aggressive. Right? Anybody ever experienced that? comes across as very loving and gentle and kind, and then, whoop! There's an arrogance and pride to that too, isn't there, for reasons we're going to see. And so their chest, as I said, sticks out. They they exude a pride, prideful, even tilt, right, Uh, of the head when they realize that they've got your attention. I've noticed that when I'm talking to people, having debates with people about the Bible and about these kind of subjects. There's a point at which it's like, hmm, I I think I won that point right there, right? It's a tilt, But Paul says the truth is they understand nothing about sound doctrine. That should become very clear. How would it become very clear? Because you know the real deal. You will detect the counterfeit in a heartbeat because you know the real deal. So that's why. We say, we need to know the Bible. We need to study the Bible and what it says. Secondly, look at their unhealthy cravings for the controversial. The dissection and parsing of words. Man, I, like, I, I got back on Twitter a year ago. I know you can pray for me. <clears throat> but it, I, honestly, it's part of a pastor's job, in a sense, to, to my wife doesn't agree with me, just so you know. But it's, you gotta have your pulse. You gotta, like, you know, at and, and the same time, not get sucked into the vortex because it's terrible. But you see this over and over and over, the parsing of words, just going over it and the controversy that comes from it. It's, it's now, you know what, what else is going on? People love it. People are drawn to it. Not so much to this and to sitting in the pew on a Sunday morning, but into that. And well, I'm a Christian, well be careful. And so these unhealthy cravings, as I said uh, about a week ago, they, they can point you to an endless, these people will point you to an endless list of articles, blogs, podcasts, authors, and preachers even who espouse the same, same as they do on, usually they have one pet subject, you know, it could be end times, it could be creation evolution, it could be gender and sexuality, you name it, but they've got a pet. And they know all the resources of everything you ever want to read on that subject. Be careful. Even if they're brother brother and sister in Christ, you need to help them be careful. But you, too, need to be careful about what is actually happening. Thirdly, then, here you see their fruit. You see the fruit of a false teacher. Envy. Creates envy within the body. Division within the church. Eventually, slander, evil suspicions. What what, what possibly could evil suspicions be? Well, let me give you a hint. Make you suspicious of those who teach sound doctrine. No? Maybe? I'll suggest that that's possible. Constant friction and arguments follow them wherever they go. They, They always want to get back to that pet subject, to that issue, or to the parsing of words. And then there's the final character trait that may not be so obvious at first blush. I, I, I had to reread this a few times just to maybe make sure that I'm right on this. And then I checked a few commentators that I trust, and whew, well, no, it's not good that I'm right. But the one thing that will point you to them is the idea of gain. It's in here, gain is in here, right? So it's a final trait as they see, listen, they seek to profit in some way from their efforts. Now, gain is often thought of as a good goal in life, isn't it? I think most of us have heard the saying, you know, know, I've heard it many times in my, especially in my business life, the man or woman with the most toys when they die wins. Anybody heard that one? Anyone trying to achieve that one? (laughs) This message is for you. Okay. Right, but I mean, gain is actually considered quite positive. It seems to be the goal, right? Like more, more stuff, more money, it seems to be the goal. And so it, it also, it's what's taught to us is, is going to lead to the happy and prosperous and good life. That's what I was taught when I was in my early 20s. I sought after that hard, as I'm going to share with you in a minute. But listen, there's, there's something else that's going on here that we must see with them and these people. What would be the main gain that a false teacher, a, propi- uh, a promoter of false doctrine would, 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 would receive or would want? How about popularity? How about being considered an influencer on Twitter with 50,000 followers, right? That's a gain in their mind. That could be a gain in my own mind or your mind. So many followers and people who add a flaming emoji after your grand narrative and pointed posts, that's popularity. And that can be something that someone wants. One can make money off of, we know that today, Money, people can make a lot of money off of that kind of influence. So too in that day, but in a very different way. I mean, it was to drawing people off to to be a business partner with them, calling people to something that we know today is pervasive in the North American church, well, the church around the world, and it's a false gospel. Anyone know that false gospel? It's called the prosperity gospel. It was alive and well in Ephesus. It's alive and well today. It produces gain for those who are promoting it, but the idea is it'll produce gain in your life too if you believe it. And those of you who are not familiar with it, it's very simple. The prosperity gospel says that Jesus died on the cross for you so that you could be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Amen? Let's take out our wallets and let's pray over them right now. I was in a church in the Okanagan where that happened one Sunday, and I looked at my wife and I was like, we're getting out of here. But it happens. That's the idea. And here's the, here's the dilemma, the hard part, the worst part about all of that is it will be taught to you that, well, if you're bank account is not exploding and growing. It's because you lack faith. That's a false doctrine. That's a horrible one. And that can be spread in so many different ways. I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, I think, but some of you who have been around The Rock know this a lot. Um, In my late 30s and early 40s, I was at the pinnacle of my business career. At least I thought I was. I had a goal from the age of 21, uh, which was that I was going to become a millionaire by the time I turned 40. Awesome goal. (laughs) I was working hard at it. I had a chain of stereo stores in Vancouver. It was all going really, really well. It was up and to the right, and I was almost there. I was getting there. Then the Lord showed me something, um, brought a man into my life, pointed me to the fact that I was wasting my life seeking after those things, told me that I had a gift and that I should use it for preaching, not just communicating marketing, right? And my own spiel to people to get them on board with my company and what I'm doing, So I can make more money and you too, you too can make money if you follow what I'm believing and preaching, right? Well, then I fell upon a text in Luke chapter 12 that cut me to the heart. It's the parable of the rich fool, right? There's a man who comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, you're pretty powerful. You can make things happen. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. The guy does this. This is like real habit. It's not a parable. Jesus tells a parable that get this guy's attention. But Jesus first looks at him and goes, who made me a judge and arbiter over you and your brother? Right? But then Jesus says these words. And I read them for the first time and I was like, oh my. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I mean, right away I got that as that was pointing at me. But then I went to a few commentaries and I was looking at it as, what does this mean? Because I had commentaries in those days. And I'm looking at it and goes, what does this really mean, right? And then I saw that in the Greek, the word for abundance in the Greek is interesting. You actually know it by its opposite. The opposite of the Greek for the word abundance is the word anorexia. Anyone ever heard of that word? What does it literally mean? Well, it means, in the case of the disease, less than enough, body weight. So what does pleonexia mean? Abundance, more than enough. It's not about the desire for more than enough. And so our last point for today is what contentment actually looks like. Verses six and seven say this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For How true are these words? For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. (laughs) True. Back in the day, uh, I listened to a lot of motivational speakers, but I've only promoted one since that day. He passed away in the last 10 years. His name was Zig Ziglar, had a Texas drawl. The reason why I promote him is because he was a godly Christian man and he never promoted success for the sake of self. He didn't. Um, one of his uh, s- uh, tapes that I had, he actually said, and he was speaking about this point, and he goes, he was talking about, you know, what, there's no U-Hauls in heaven, I think he said, right? And I'm not going to try to, you know, mention his, his uh, or use his accent, because I'm terrible at it. But anyway, at the end, well, I will. At the end, he said, and so here, here's what happens. When you and I leave this world and we, we, we arrive in heaven, guess what? How, how much do you think we're leaving behind? And he goes, you're leaving it all. <laughs> leaving it all behind. I love that. The greatest gain that you and I can have that will produce contentment in our lives is sound doctrine, is Jesus Christ, is our faith in him. Amen? That's the greatest gain that is out there for us. Paul moves to a conclusion by saying, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Now, I just want to ask an honest question before we get to the end here. Are you going to leave here today and be okay with that? Like, Really? I'm going to be content with just food and clothing. Well, Jesus wants you to be. Jesus knows you can be if you trust him, if I trust him. It's one of the things I love about Luke chapter 12. It goes on. He tells the parable of the rich fool about building bigger barns. You're a fool if you're going to do that because one day your soul is going to be required of you. And then he goes on to say, do not be anxious for your life, right? For what you're going to eat. I mean, look at the birds in the air. Who feeds them? Oh, your heavenly father. Look look at the flowers in the field. Who clothes them? More beautifully than Solomon. Who does that? Oh, your heavenly father. And then he, he says, be anxious for nothing. You don't have to be anxious. I got you. We've got this. And then he concludes with the words in chapter 12, verses 31 to 32. Instead, seek first his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the, hold on, the kingdom? If you're here today and you're in Jesus Christ, the kingdom is yours. Jesus's inheritance is yours, it's mine. You are rich. That's gain. That's incredible gain. Verse nine, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction only point I wanna make on that today is I know in my life as a Christian, I've known some very, very wealthy people who are Christians. And they bless people with their wealth. God is called the gift of giving and God also gives people the gift of wealth not because they sought it. I, one fellow who I really, really appreciate, uh, he used to go to the Rock Church years ago. He used to say to me, he to, say to me, we'd go for lunch and stuff and I'd be picking his brain like, like how did you do it? How did you do it? Because I mean, I'm an ex businessman And he goes, Glenn, I am not the sharpest tool in the shed, buddy. It's, there's a reason why they call it good fortune. God blessed him and he used it to bless others. Verse 10 is our final verse for today and it begins off with words that I know are very familiar to all of you. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So it's possibly one of the most misunderstood and part of the reasons for that is because one particular translation, which I love, the King James actually translates for the love of money is the root of all. The word is actually a root of all. So it's, it's a root, it's one of the roots. It's one thing, but it's a major one is the point that we need to remember from that. And of course, God does bless, as I mentioned, people with wealth. And uh, yeah, but we need to be careful about that. And there's two ways that you can be worried about money or concerned about money. Not just about wanting to make more, but feeling like you don't have enough. You're still focused on the love of money, whichever way you look at that, because you're desiring it in maybe an unhealthy way. And so in conclusion, I was thinking about this. Actually, yesterday I went for a walk, and I didn't really have a conclusion. I was looking at all these part, piece, pieces together, I'm like, I, I don't know how to put a bow on it for you. And I was listening to a podcast, uh, not a podcast, but an ebook of the book that I recommended to you a few weeks ago, You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith, and boom, the Holy Spirit does this to me, just there, there you go. Maybe relate this story, right? And in this, he relates the story, a famous 2005 commencement speech that the late David Foster Wallace. Some of you will know him, who wrote Infinite Jest and was a university professor gave. He uh, passed away. He actually took his own life um, about a decade ago, sadly. But in this bold commencement speech to the graduating university students, he started off with the words, you are not the center of the universe. I think some of the students are going, check please. Like, what? What? It was a great speech. It's a fantastic speech. You can look up online. It really was. Basically, he was pointing to these graduates and he he was saying to them, look, you're about to embark on the rest of your lives and just make sure, first of all, you understand you're not it. There's more to life than the abundance of things. But then he told them this little illustration and parable that I want to share with you. He told them the story of this older fish who was swimming upstream one day. Two younger fish swam by him going downstream. And he looked at them and he said, morning boys, how's the water? And he kept swimming up and they kept going down. A few minutes later, one of the younger fish says to the other fish, what the heck is water? What's water? Right? So Wallace's perception of the world and our attempts at achieving human flourishing and the good life was that we, what he saw as a culture, are really unaware of the water that we are actually swimming in. And that I want to suggest to you this morning is the lesson from our passage for today. There are two competing visions of what leads to the godliness in this world today, at least two, but two primary ones. One is the tried and true. It may seem sim- simplistic, and it is certainly countercultural. however, it is the teaching that accords with godliness, and it involves swimming upstream <laughs> against the current of our culture. The other, the counterfeit, is that which leads to harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So, as your older pastor here today who's trying to swim up river, upstream, and trying to bring you along too, let me just leave you by asking this question. How's the water? How's the water? Pray with me, would you? Father, um, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, um, we are... uh, Oh, Father, I, I feel, I hope everyone else in this room feels, we are constantly amazed at the fact that we have the words of Scripture in our possession. That we can open the Bible freely in this country and in this place, and we can hear from you, Holy Spirit, yeah, we know we're reading the words that Paul wrote to Timothy, but we do believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, as Timothy will tell us in 2 Timothy, in the new year, Lord willing. The fact that we have it, and the fact that when we read it and hear it, just in its plain reading, uh, it can cut us to the heart. It can, it can speak to us if we allow it to, if we meditate on it. If it is proclaimed faithfully, yes, but Holy Spirit, it's up to you. So I just pray today that you would take the words that you gave to me about this, and I pray that it would encourage everyone who's here in the hearing of it, watching online today or later. And I just pray, Lord, that you would, you would help us to be vigorous upstream swimmers. Yeah, help us. Help us. Lord Jesus, teach us your words. Teach us your words. Point us to the words this week that we need to hear. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen.